psychological war. And to that end, I think, first of all, I have to give you a little bit of my background so that you know where I come from and why I do this, okay? And also, this is on psychological war, but before I start, I'll have to introduce you to a thing called biblical economics. And what I want you to think of is this. The Lord spoke a lot about wealth and money. There is nothing wrong with money, and there's nothing wrong with wealth. It's the worship of wealth and money. And if you go through the Old Testament, you can find most times the Lord blesses people in abundance. And then what they do is they start worshipping other gods. And inevitably, one of those gods is money and power. So I just want to quickly run through, and this is not about the point economics, it's just a, a, a little bit, but I must explain to you. Okay. Today we have people trying to control you and the world. And that's what we're going to talk about. But if you can understand and get it in your head, that if you have your own can't you hear me? Must I do what, what must I do with it? Put it closer? Oh, okay. Alright. Can you hear better? I, I appreciate that because I'm partially deaf. I'm not suggesting that you're deaf, but I am partly deaf and it's really annoying trying to hear people. Um, you know. Okay, so let's let's go forward. Um, let's quickly have a look at this thing called money and wealth. If you remember nothing else, remember this. If you have your own money, nobody can control you. And what do I mean by that? This. People can control you because you need money to live. If you don't do this, you can't work. If you don't wear a mask, you can't buy. But if you have your own money, people can't control you because you can say to them, go away and leave me alone. And if you go back to when the Israelites first left Egypt, they were endowed with tremendous wealth from the Egyptians. That wasn't because God wanted to be nice to them, and it wasn't because the Egyptians wanted to pay them to get out of the way. But the Lord was building a nation, and nations have to have money. So God arranged for them to be able to build an economy, because countries and nations survive on an economy. If you have your own money, and we're not talking amounts now, we're talking money. You can tell people to go away and leave you alone, you can do what you want. Okay? And how I suggest you do that is simply this. You don't incur debt. Because the borrower is the lender's slave. 
and it makes that quite clear. So what you have to do is, you have to get to a stage where you have absolute faith that the Lord will provide for you. And that way, you cannot be getting, led into bondage. But as I say, this is not biblical economics, it's about um, psychological war. But gain freedom by not going into debt, by using what the Lord gives you wisely. And I'll give you an example. I drive a 22-year-old motor car. And people say to me, why don't you build a new car? And my answer to that is because if I buy a new car today, in three years' time, it will be three years old and it will be an old motor car. And this one gets me from A to B. It works. Why must I do that? Okay? There are occasions when you do occur debt for that. But my advice to people is stay away from debt. Don't sell your life into bondage. Alright? Stay away from things like credit cards. And let me explain. Outside of God, banks are the only people who can create something out of nothing. And I'll explain how they do that. And I'll try to keep the figures simple. You go into a bank and you say, I want to borrow a thousand dollars. And he will say, what do you want it for? And you tell him, okay, we'll give you a thousand dollars. He doesn't give you a thousand dollars. He pushes a button, like I'm gonna push a button here. And all of a sudden, there's a thousand dollars. So you take that thing called a thousand dollars and you go down the road and you say to somebody, I want to buy that. They say, that's five hundred dollars. And you say, I'd like that. I'll buy that. Thank you very much. You don't give me five hundred dollars. You push a button and five hundred dollars goes into his bank. So you never ever really receive wealth. They have created something out of nothing. And then you go into fractionalized banking, etc., etc. But I just thought I'd mention that because the people that are working against you are in their position because they have vast amounts of money. So let's have a look. Let's solve it right. I hope we push the right button. Okay. <laughs> All right, have we got, can you see that? Is there anything up there? Where's my technical name? Okay. Can you read that? Yeah. Okay, yesterday when I was looking from the back, I, I couldn't read a lot of the text, so I went through this and made it bolder, and, and I hope you can read it. Okay, let's have a look at this. Supposing you understand what is happening today and you didn't take the poison pill or the jolly jab or whatever you want to come uh, call it you didn't succumb to the globalists plan and their terror I don't know if you appreciate this but you have survived one of the world's greatest psychological warfare 
actions or campaigns in human history. The only one I can think of that has been as severe as this campaign that has been recently levelled against you and the churches is in the old days in South Africa when I was working for military intelligence. South Africa came under the most intense, protracted and hostile psychological campaign. And I'm not arguing the rights and wrongs of anything, okay? I'm just giving you a fact. All right. Up until South Africa, no country, no single country, had come under such pressure and stress. So that's finished and gone. But you, people sitting here, have survived the most recent and most intense and the world's greatest psychological campaign. And it is real, okay? Do you realise how much time, resources, money, effort that people have put in to control you? To brainwash you through the use of fear? To make you comply with their attempts to control every facet of your life? Now, when I used to make that statement to people, they used to say, why on earth would anybody want to control me? I don't know, I don't have that desire. But it is definitely there. These people want to control you. They've tried to confuse you, make you question your reality and your sanity. They divided families, they destroyed businesses, they destroyed many people's value systems, principles, morals. They have split and destroyed families. But, when I looked out at you people last night, after Peter gave his absolutely stunning lecture, all right, I could hear a tangible feeling of shock because we learned stuff we had never heard before. And you people have survived this recent psychological campaign leveled against you because you have some inherent, inherent feeling inside of you that said it was wrong. And then slowly but surely more people said it was wrong, etc, etc. So when I look out at you people, to me, you are the remnant. Because how many people complied and how many people said there is something inherently wrong which is what is going on. Okay. What we term the globalists, which we now have a deeper understanding of from last night, okay. The one world order, the, the globalists, the money markets, the money people, they don't always get it right. They, get, they can get beaten. It's taken them hundreds of years to get from where they were to here now. They've made a great deal of progress in the last century because of technology. But there again, we've acquired a defence system by using the same kind of technology, which is quite simply information. So, they have not gone away. 
one day you won't have to wear a mask, you won't get chased out of the shop, which I do often actually. I, I, I used to enjoy shopping. I used to, it was like when I was in the army, I used to get into the shop and I used to see how long I could last before somebody would come out behind me and say, sir, your mask. And I, I would look at them and I would say, yeah, your mask, yeah. <laughs> Where is your mask? It's in my pocket. Oh, can you put it on? No. You'll have to leave the shop. I'm going now. I've just finished shopping. <laughs> and the next hurdle would be get to the cashier. You pull all the stuff down. And then you say, you've got to push it, put a mask on before I ring it up on the till. Why? Um, because it's law. Okay, who's law? And then they go and get the manager and we get through all this again. And it was great fun. Now it got bored. I enjoyed that, really. Okay. What you got to think of is this. We're talking about psychological war and propaganda. Propaganda is just a tool in the toolbox of psychological war. They have many tools, okay? If propaganda was the only tool, it'd be like having a hammer, which means that all your problems have to be nails. So, psychological war has many tools. It has literature, it has words, okay? And this is an old formula here. 80% of the people in the world never think. 15% of the people think, they think, and 5% of the people really think, okay? And in the formula, 80% of the people, what they do is they give them uh, low-grade movies, comic books, easy to understand, easy to read, stuff that is propagating their ideas. 15% of the people think they think because they are reading Time and um, the Times of London and all these supposedly very cerebral newspapers and magazines. All right. And only 5% of the people really think. And what do I mean by that? Today you'll get people say, it's very dangerous, I do my own research, which means that they've gone on Facebook. It's incredibly dangerous because somebody sent me a movie on Twitter. That is their level of thought. When I research this stuff, and also people standing up here research this stuff, we don't get it off Facebook. We might go to Google because that's a good search engine, okay? But we always cross-reference it, all right? And a lot of the stuff I, I use, I go back to papers that have been presented by somebody else, and I try to reference everything, okay? So, how did I get involved in propaganda? 
Okay, well I'm a special forces soldier and I use that term special forces soldier, I am, because that is a mindset. Okay, and I'll race through it really quickly for you. Um, I, in one of the armies I was in, I got, I got wounded very badly. Uh, and they were getting ready to bring my family out to either take me back home in a box or to bury me. Okay, anyway, I survived. Long story, I did survive. Uh, in, that, in that period of convalescing, uh, I got involved in a church. Um, I, I, don't, I don't give testimonies. For the simple reason, I find them highly emotional. Um, I find that many times when people give testimonies, they look at the person, not at the Lord. It becomes, he climbed the mountain by himself. I walk, no, not really. The Lord created a mountain and then he gave me fitness to walk up it. So, you know, and I. I don't want to take the spotlight of Christ and become the centre of attraction, so I, I, I don't do them. But there are times that I have to tell people things, and one of those times is now. In that period of time, between getting very badly wounded, um, I got in, uh, first of all, uh, the Lord actually spoke to me, physically, audibly, get up, go and say thank you that you arrived. I went to a church, I got involved in a church. Somebody who was mentoring me said, don't you think you should become a Christian? And I, I'm, I'm really blaming it off here to get through it quickly. Uh, and I accepted Christ, okay? And my life didn't change one bit. I enjoyed my sin, I was a soldier, and I kept on living like that. Anyway. Race forward, I got wounded the second time. That started to get my attention. Um, and then, because of my wounds, I was invalided out. They threw me out of the army, for another word. It was no good to me anymore. And then one night, when I was alone, the Lord spoke to me again. Okay. And that was uh, the real conversion experience in my life. And I, my life did change. I saw miracles, like everybody, black slip, came back, etc., etc. Okay, so I was then recruited by the South African Army. I went back in Space Forces because I got better. Uh, and then um, I left there. And then they came and headhunted me, and I became involved in something else, which was really related to propaganda. And it's really strange, I'll tell you why. The colonel I worked for, or the general I worked for, had chased me all around the country leaving messages. We didn't have cell phones in those days. And I eventually got hold of him. I went to a meeting. And the first thing, when he told me what he wanted me to do, the first thing I said to him, I said, but surely you have people far better educated and have far more knowledge than I have. And he said, Rob, he said, you've fought in foreign wars overseas, you've been in special forces, so you know the culture from the army, 
you're a Christian person, so you know the culture inside of the Christian community. And then he misquoted the Bible and he says, a prophet is never appreciated in his own town and you speak with a foreign tongue. And I thought about that. And I thought, I walked in the door 15 minutes ago and when I walk out, I'm a specialist. I've been hired as a specialist because I'm special. <laughs> all these things, and I still didn't have a clue what I was going to do. He didn't tell me a line function. Okay, can you, why is that not up there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. I am not coming up here to expand on scripture or bring you a new theology. I'm not going to quote, as was suggested or said this morning, bits of Chris, uh, scripture from my own end. Okay. And let's just have a look at this. What it did. This, is, this is meant to be Paul after he has his Damascus experience. And it, said, uh, it says, for through this time, you, uh, uh, for through this time you, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Cynthia is a child. But solid food is for mature, for the mature. For those who have their powers of full age, this is by reason of us having their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, the most important message that you can get is the salvation message, because that's how you come to know the Lord. Really? I better race through this very quick. I didn't reach. Hey, thanks very much. I didn't. But, all right. I'm going to have to skate through this. Let's have a look. See where we go. Okay. Um, that kind of threw me. How much more have we got? Hold that up again for me. Second. I can't hit it. Okay. Uh, this guy is an archbishop, Carlo Maria Vienna. Um, he was an ambassador to, from the um, papacy to America. And he wrote a letter to Trump. And a three-page letter, dated the 6th, he made the statement, there is a global plan called the Great Reset is underway. Its architects are the global elite and wants to subdue all of humanity. Why they want to secure humanity, you found out yesterday. All right. Impulsive coercive measures with which to drastically limit individual freedoms and lives on entire populations. It is real. They want to control you. And the object of their jolly jab and everything is so as you have to get a health passport. That has not gone away. They will reintroduce that. And once you've got that, 
then they will be able to track and trace you totally. And people who say it can't happen because they will go off grid. Let me explain something. When you talk about going off grid, you can't go off grid because you have a cell phone. If you want to go off grid, smash your cell phone, throw it in the bucket. If you disconnect your battery in your cell phone, the cell phone is still a transmitter receiver. They can still track you. And NIS in America and in Europe have a fast complex where they do track you. Trust me, I know it's there, I know it works, and I know people use it. All right. So, just by way of interest as well, you do appreciate when you use a credit card, if you have a look on your credit card, you, say again? Is that more or less? More. Oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> when you put your credit card into that machine, you've got a little kind of uh, silver thing on that card. Every time that registers inside an ATM, all that information from that little piece goes back to somebody and not only does the information go back to somebody, but the people who own that get a percentage of every single transaction in the world. And those people are the Rothschilds. Okay. One of the least understood strategies of the world revolution now moving rapidly towards its goal is the use of mind control as a major means of obtaining the consent of the people who will be subjects of the new world order. Can you see oh, let me, I don't think you can see that. Okay, can you see that one? Yeah. This you learned yesterday is a thing called the Georgia Stones. Okay. You have a lecture or presentation on monuments and how important they are. You also learned about George Stone yesterday, it was mentioned. All right. That has their plan inscribed on it in about three or four different languages, okay? And on it, it maintains, it actually says this. This is not a conspiracy. This is what is actually written on it. They want, to they want to maintain the human population at 500 million people. Anybody any idea of how many people are in the world now? Anybody? Say again? I think it's eight and a half billion. Okay, so that's eight and a half. So you've all been to school a short while ago, shorter than me. So they've got off over 300 million people. Billion, no. How many did you say? I said eight and a half billion. Eight and a half billion. Okay, there you are. You're all math scholars. Work that out for you. Okay. Yeah. They, they've got to kill, let me put it this way. That's a lot of people they've got to kill. But that's where they want to go. They want to just maintain, because that's what they think. That's what, that's what they think is an ideal um, number of people. They talk about uh, the ecology, overpopulation. I stood 
on top of a hill once in Zambia. And I could see so far across the bush with those lonely pine trees, okay? I could see the curvature of the earth. And I said to the person I was with, I said, look at that. That's an incredible space over there. And he said, do you know something? Not a human foot has walked across one square inch of that land you're looking at. There was no people. So I don't know how the world's overpopulated. I don't know why they've got to bring it down to 500 million. Okay. Skip that one. Okay. So what is psychological war? Okay. It's a broad term that is used for many things. Okay. In their toolbox, they have propaganda. They have leaflets. They have words. And that's how they control you, through words. Words are very important. I don't think you realise how important they are. Um, words can make you fly. They can make you achieve and excel through simple words. They can bring you crashing to the ground. A simple criticism, a simple word. Words and how they use are very, very important. The tongue is such a small organ, such a small thing, but it can start forest fire with a spark. So when you're speaking, you must think of what you're going to say, because you can either destroy somebody or lift them up. But the problem with words nowadays is there's a thing called semantic gymnasts. The word they use is not the word, or it doesn't have the same meaning as what she is. It's different. Psychological warfare is a broad term, but in all document cases, the concept uses actions intended to produce an opponent's moral or mental well-being. The aim is to use manipulative tactics to intimidate or persuade a person or people. This process is usually employed through propaganda. Propaganda is a tool. That's all it is in the toolbox. Okay, the term propaganda, uh, psychological war was first used by a gentleman in 1920. He was a lieutenant in the British Army. Strangely enough, this man was a brilliant soldier uh, and uh, produced a manual on tank warfare. And he was British. And this is really strange. The only people who listened or read his manual on modern tank warfare was the German Wehrmacht, Adolf Hitler. And using that manual, the German army was allowed to reach the channel ports in less than 21 days, and they chased the British out of Europe, and then we got the war and they went back. But the man was quite brilliant, and he coined the phrase, psychological war. Okay, how long have we had propaganda? Well, from the beginning of time. And how so? Okay. Words. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any one of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that? Come on now, that can't be real. Look at her. 
is nice. Take a bite out of it. Just words. He didn't say, if you don't pick it off the tree and eat it, I'm going to bite you. Same with the churches. Why are you here? Why are I here? I'll tell you why. I did not believe in my wildest dreams I would drive to church on a Sunday morning and the doors would be closed. And later on, I said to one of the youth pastors, not that I'm a youth, but I was just talking to them, I said to him, why did you close the church? Well, you know, we, we have to be good citizens. And my response was, did they tell you they were going to feed you to the lions? Oh no, we, we have to. God's word says we have to obey the government. And I just couldn't get through this kid's head. The churches don't close in a crisis. That's, that's, that's the most fundamental and basic time to evangelize people. There's no atheists in foxholes. You could be standing next to the most abusive soldier in the world and he doesn't, doesn't want to know about anything. But I tell you, when he's lying on the ground behind a tree stump or an anthill, hey, he's muttering. And he's not muttering abuse. It's, Please God, let me get home. I promise. I promise I'll do this. I promise. He gets afterwards. Hey, church is closed. That's, that's one of the reasons I came back into this. I just couldn't believe that churches would close. Okay. Absalom at the gate. Words. Propaganda. He rose early in the morning, stood by the way of the gate because he wanted to wrestle power from his father, David. And everybody who came through the gate, he'd say, hey, where are you going? Going to go see your dad. Tell him I've got a problem. Come over here. You know, he's my dad. I'll talk to him. You tell me what your problem is. I'll go and talk to him, and we'll sort it out. So now, what he's doing, he's winning votes. He's doing what politicians do. Vote for me. Um, okay, not a problem. I'm going to prove to you that there is such a thing as psychological war. Okay, this is a manual. Most of the stuff here is from the Americans. The Brits are really funny with this kind of stuff. They don't like to get it out. The Americans seem to put it on. Okay, psychological operations, U.S. Army doctrine. They teach people how to be a psychological operator. Let's race through. Let me just tell you about the different types of propaganda so you can understand what's happening. Okay. I'm going to keep it basic because I don't have time. You have basically two kinds of propaganda. You have a passive type, which is just words, posters, um, misinformation, disinformation, etc., etc. You have another type of propaganda as well, which is called armed propaganda. You know that as terrorism. You will not topple a country or a government using armed propaganda because the best you can do is blow up a couple of railway lines, blow down power lines, etc., etc. 
make life uncomfortable, okay? But it doesn't matter how many railway lines you blow up, how many bridges you blow up, the government has enough money to rebuild, okay? Everything you use to destroy infrastructure as somebody who is a terrorist or is using armed propaganda, you have to carry in. It is a very dangerous period of your life. So, armed propaganda, all it does is this. It elevates the person's cause. And armed propaganda works in tandem with uh, ordinary propaganda or with negotiations or something, okay. So there's two types of propaganda. You've got armed propaganda where you actually engage and break, and you've got propaganda where you just talk people to death, okay. Uh, all right. Psychological war is a very real action. It is something. It is something you do, and you are taught to do it. It is a taught process. They have a methodology to run through it. Words, multiple words, changing the meaning of words. Okay. I don't know what you mean by glory, Alice said. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't, till I tell you. When I use the word, Humpty Dumpty said, in rather a scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing more, nothing less. They use words, they use the same words as we do. Liberty. Freedom, safety, security, God, saviour, church. All the same words, different meanings. This one is frightening. This one is real and it is frightening. We need a program of psychosurgery for the, politically, uh, for the political control of our society. The purpose is physical control of the mind. If you read that, that man is saying they're going to cut bits out of your head. This actually took place in the Soviet Union, but this guy is not from the Soviet Union, he's from the States, he's a neurosurgeon. So they are really deadly serious, okay. All sign war is, is a very fancy term for social engineering. Now, social engineering can be good or bad, can't it? Because if everybody says you have to stop at the red traffic light and only go on the green, that's social engineering. Because they're, they're kind of, okay, countdown. Um, so social engineering per se is not bad, you know. It's like you are what you eat, so advertise healthy food. Um, problem with social engineering is most people don't know they're being engineered. It's very subtle. Uh, the sheer magnitude and complexity of the web of deceit surrounding the individuals or organisations involved in this conspiracy is mind-boggling. It is. That was a statement made by a former intelligence officer of British intelligence. Uh, they go under different names. The Tavistock uh, Institute of Human Relations, the Council of Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission, Bilderberg Group, Club of Rome, United Nations, World Bank, the International Monetary Fund. The ones at the bottom are absolute dynamite. There is a bank in 
ours in Switzerland, Switzerland. It is called the Bank of International Acceptance. It is run, owned by the Rothschilds. I've got the history here, but you heard the history yesterday. Every single bank is controlled by the Bank of, uh, bank of Acceptance in Basel. And nothing happens that they don't know about. The Bank of England is not the Bank of England. The Bank of England is the bank that belongs to Rothschilds. The uh, Federal Reserve is not, it says it's the American Federal Reserve, it's not. They do have, uh, for one another word, politicians and people on the board. But that thing is wholly owned and run by the Rothschilds. Uh, this is this is what we have and what we're fighting against, okay? Alright? And this is what they tell you you get. Okay? And, and this guy wrote a whole thesis on that. These are the bad guys for more than a century. Okay. People say this is a conspiracy. The term conspiracy was taught. Coined by the CIA after Kennedy was assassinated because they were having different, um, uh, what you might call, uh, commissions to find out who shot Kennedy. And people weren't wearing the official government mind because there was people out there who understood rifles, understood ballistics, this couldn't have happened because of that, etc. And they said, now there's something wrong here. The same as many people said with the with this flu epidemic, there's something wrong here because they were using their own information and their own expertise. So the CIA came out with the idea that it is a conspiracy theory. Alright. Two minutes and I'm gonna tell you what a conspiracy is. The dictionary definition is simply this. A conspiracy is where two or more people come together and conspire to break the law. That's the dictionary definition of a conspiracy. These people do not conspire to break the law. They conspire to change the law. Okay? That's what conspiracy is. So, in essence, you can say it's not really a conspiracy because it's not breaking the law. What they do is they get together and they change the law. And it's really not a theory, it's more of a fact. Okay. And to prove that, I shall tell you a little story. All right. In the Second World War, which was before even my time, there was a little Jewish girl, and her name was Anne Frank. And this was in Holland. And what a Dutch family did is they took Anne Frank and they hid her. And then the Dutch Parliament legislated, because they were now occupied by the German army, the Dutch Parliament legislated that if you hid any Jewish family, then you would be taken and either shot 
or placed in a concentration camp. That's the law they legislated. All right. So the people who hit Anne Frank for a couple of years before she was arrested and killed, all right, the people who hit her were breaking the law. The people who murdered her were obeying the law. And it's a very fine line we walk today because they don't break the law, they change the law. And once they change the law, you become a, a criminal. And I've got one minute left. Do we have another Oh. Okay. I'm just going to give you this example, and then we finish. Okay. <clears throat> if I walk down the road one day, and I shoot somebody dead, they will take me and they will give me a medal. Okay. At another time, I walk down the same road, I shoot the same person dead, and they arrest me and put me in jail. What's the difference? I've shot the same person, same road. The difference is the circumstances and the law. The circumstances that I'm in and the law. Because one day I did it because I was allowed to. The other day I did it. They changed the law. I wasn't allowed to. Okay. We finished? Well, well I'm not. I can go on for another two hours. But anyway. Uh, okay. Uh, questions? Answers? Oh, this is going to be good. Who's got the first question? Who's got the second question? Okay, we'll take the young man there. Don't make it too difficult. Okay, I'm old, I forget them. Okay, go. Uh, how do you recognize a conspiracy theory easily? Are there some, that, some at the moment that you would want to look up for? Okay, how do you recognize there's a conspiracy? Okay. First of all, as a Christian person, you'll get a very uneasy feeling. Alright? If a, cons a conspiracy will be formed for political reasons, okay, for the advancement of a political party, for the advancement of a certain kind of doctrine, and normally you will find that it's, it's not the law. What, what you should ask me really is, how do you know the law has been changed? Okay, how did, I'll give you an example. Um, the Abortion Act. That was the first act that Nelson Mandela signed into uh, legislation, okay? All right. Um, was that part of a conspiracy? Uh, no, they just changed the law. Okay, 
where does the conspiracy come in? Okay. If you demonstrate outside an abortion clinic in many countries, you are breaking the law. You will go to jail. Okay. So all you've got to do is you've got to look at it and just say, moral, immoral, right, wrong. It's, it's, it's that easy. It's, it's, you know, the trouble is people don't look, people don't listen. Sir, uh, we need to stop there. We're going now. Speakers, three and three Everybody, tea time. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, we come before you, Lord, and we look at all these many things, and we realise that we are really uh, in a battle. Um, but the battle's already been won, Lord. It's just that uh, we just asked that you would give us time so as we could um, just do our job and get more people to accept you as Lord and Saviour. We also, Lord, ask for understanding of what is happening around us. We ask that you would give us that inner feeling, uh, that inherent feeling, that we'll be able to understand what is right and what is wrong. Uh, but most of all, Lord, we understand and appreciate that you're still in control. Um, even when uh, it was reported to Job that the house had collapsed and his family, all but one, had been crushed under the under the falling building, uh, the words that came out of Job's mouth were not, why? Why did God do this to me? Why have I been made to suffer? But the words out of Job's mouth, which should be the words out of our mouth, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let us not question, Lord. Let us not question. Let us just be obedient. We pray and ask this in Christ's holy and blessed name. Amen. Amen.